Good morning. Welcome to our service today. It's great to see all of you here uh, with us in the sanctuary and those of you joining us online. Thank you so much for being here and thank you for all uh, many of you did yesterday for our community day. What a fantastic event. I am so happy to be here today for the first time since mid-July. I am very grateful to be with you. Thank you. Um, haven't had a chance to meet some of you, I'm sure. My name is uh, David Beatty, and I've had the privilege of serving as a pastor here since our church began in 1999. And I have, Beth and I have really missed you all, and we are so grateful to be uh, with you this morning. Um, I've been on a sabbatical, and for those who don't know what a sabbatical is, our church gives uh, many of our pastors the incredible gift of a sabbatical every seven to ten years. That's a two-month, two you can add some vacation in, make it almost three months. Uh, extended time for uh, really whatever you want to use it for, study, uh, travel, rest, renewal. Sabbaticals have been shown to uh, increase longevity in ministry, and that's the reason many churches do them, and I'm glad ours is one of those, and I thank you, those of you who are part of our church, for this incredible privilege. It was renewing. It was great, but it is really great to be back here. We miss being in worship with you and seeing your faces every week. Um, this sabbatical, uh, for me, it's only the second one I've ever, ever done, uh, first one was seven years ago. This one was um, focused on a bit of a writing project that I've worked on for a few years, finally able to, to complete. Beth and I did a little bit of travel, uh, some time with our, our family, our children and their families. Um, we didn't travel very far. We took one trip to uh, Washington, D.C., some of the museums, and then on to Vermont. That was the farthest we traveled. And um, among the wonderful things that happen, I think the most exciting for me has been this. I ask those of you who get my personal prayer updates every month to pray for me that the Lord would revive my engagement in personal evangelism outside of the church. That's a part of my own spiritual life I've been most disappointed in in recent years. I share the gospel a lot in our church, of course, part of my, part of my job, my vocation but I haven't shared the gospel with people uh, as part of life outside of the church like I used to and really prayed the Lord would revive that, and he did. And I thank you for your prayers about that. Beth and I had a number of opportunities to pray with people. A uh, number of occasions we'd be in a restaurant, the server would come, and we'd simply say this. You can do the same thing. Hey, we're about to pray. Is there anything we can pray for you about? And it's remarkable how many conversations open like, like that with a, a server in a restaurant, maybe an Uber driver. When we were in Washington, D.C., we were only there four days. And we had seven different drivers from seven different nations, believe it or not. First driver, uh, actually a taxi from the airport of the hotel, was from Eritrea. Never met anybody from Eritrea before. The next driver, these were all Uber drivers, was from Togo. Next was from Nigeria. The next was from Laos. Next was from Ethiopia. The next was from Afghanistan. And then finally, there was a guy named John from Maine, uh, United <laughs> States, who moved down to Washington to retire. So seven drivers, seven countries. And it's a remarkable thing. People from other nations who are, who are new here, 
maybe not you know, fully comfortable with the language, to ask them where they're from, to ask them about their nation, to ask them if there's something you can pray for them about. May, may, may not be Christian by any means, but the, the openness that brings about to sharing about spiritual truth provides opportunities to minister to, the peop- to people and perhaps share the gospel with them. So if you pray for me about anything, pray that that would continue because I find that to be a great, great joy to get to share the gospel uh, with people. Well, again, we're thrilled to be here today, to be back with you. I'm especially excited today about where we are in the book of Romans because today, at the beginning of chapter 12, uh, we are at a turning point in the book of Romans. You just heard uh, verses 1 through 8 of Romans 12 read by Gloria Voss. Gloria, thank you for that beautiful reading in Swahili. That was, I believe it was Swahili, right? It was beautifully done. And um, that, that part of the book of Romans is a turning point. Because in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul has been laying out in a very logical way God's plan of salvation, what we often refer to as the gospel. And Paul refers to it as the mercies of God. And at the very beginning of chapter 12, he's going to tell us, in light of the mercies of God, how we should live. And the first point he makes in verse 1 of chapter 12 is this. And from here on out, he's going to teach us how to live as followers of Jesus. The first point is this. We worship We serve, we obey God as a response of his mercies toward us. He writes in verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that which he's just laid out in 11 chapters, therefore, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul is using language here that harkens back to the Old Testament. When people approach God by bringing an animal as a blood sacrifice to atone for sin, those sacrifices are no more. Jesus has fulfilled all that the Old Testament sacrifices signified, and now as a response to His grace, those who have received the gospel are to come to God in our appropriate, acceptable worship is to present the entirety of our being to God in an act of worship. It's a living sacrifice. Now, extremely important to grasp that this giving of ourselves to God, this obeying His commands, which Paul's going to lay out in the chapters to come, is a response to the grace that God has already shown, a response to His mercies. It's extremely important to understand this point in the book of Romans. Regeneration comes before transformation. Regeneration refers to being born again, born from above. Uh, We've referred to it as being saved, as coming to faith. Regeneration occurs when the Holy Spirit comes into a life and brings the new birth, the regeneration. It occurs when we humble ourselves before God, recognizing our sin, recognizing that Jesus Christ died on the cross and shed his blood to pay the penalty for our sin. He was raised from the dead to give us eternal life. When we turn from sin and turn to him, the Spirit of God regenerates us. 
And Paul has laid that out very clearly in chapters 1 through 11. Now he's saying, in light of that, I'm going to tell you how your life can be transformed. Now here's why I stress this, regeneration before transformation. Because many people spend their lives trying to transform themselves in order to make themselves acceptable to God. And we can't do it. Paul has already taught us, none is righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He's taught us that while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Regeneration, God's grace given us in the gospel, must come before transformation. So many people have said to me over the years, I'm trying to do better. I'm going to clean my life up. I'm going to start coming to church. I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to try to make myself acceptable to God so I can go to heaven. If we could make ourselves acceptable to God by our own efforts or good deeds or good intentions, why would Jesus Christ have had to die on the cross? The Apostle Paul said, if righteousness came by the works of the law, then Christ died in vain. Christ did not die in vain. He died because we could not save ourselves. Regeneration must come before life transformation. And so Paul says, in light of that, in light of the mercies of God and the gospel, I'm going to tell you how your life can be transformed. Life transformation then occurs as our minds are renewed. Paul then says in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world or this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and, and perfect. As one who's responded to God's mercy in the gospel, present your life fully to him, and Paul gives two commands. Number one, don't be conformed. Don't be conformed to this world around you. The word conformed here simply means to be formed like, to be molded to. Don't let your life be shaped by the influence of the age around you. The age which is characterized by the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, as Scripture says. The world around us that would conform us to its own way of coveting and lust and jealousy and anger and self-focused pride, self-centeredness. Don't let your life be formed that way, Paul says. Don't be conformed to this age. And if we don't make a purposeful decision not to allow our lives to be conformed to this age, we'll live like everybody else in this age. This age that Jesus himself described as a sinful and adulterous generation. Don't be conformed to this age, but rather be transformed. Be transformed. Now, to be transformed, of course, means to, to change in form. To change in shape. We think of transformation largely as something outwardly. Uh, people talk about uh, being transformed by having gone on a diet and lost 50, 60 pounds. Maybe you've seen the Transformer movies where something becomes this gigantic machine. Beth and I were out at uh, the fair uh, recently here with our daughter and her five-year-old and two-year-old and that. I just had to show you a picture of my five-year-old grandson here. That's Jackson. I, we, I was standing by him, 
and this little fire truck came by on four wheels. I thought it was a remote control fire truck, and all of a sudden stood up and became a little transformer person. So we took a picture. Transformation. People talk about being transformed by, by workouts and exercise and plastic surgery. Paul's not talking about that type of transformation outwardly. He's talking about inward transformation, and the goal of it is very simple. He's already laid it out in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, to be conformed to the likeness of his son. That's what you and I are supposed to look like in our spiritual growth, like Christ, like Jesus. The body may not look any different at all, but inwardly, the love, joy, peace, the long-suffering that is patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control, these things are characterizing your life. You're being transformed. How does it happen? How does it happen? Once you've embraced Jesus as Lord, how, how do you not be conformed to this world? And how do you be transformed? It's by the renewing of the mind. Paul's giving us a critically important key here. Our lives, our lives are going to reflect to a large degree, what we allow into our minds. Our minds can take in everything this world offers. And as we all know, there's a lot of it that is absolutely terrible. But our lives can be transformed by their renewing. This, this world in which we live, and especially the technology available to us in our age and the, and, the, and the phone that's in our pockets right here, opens up to us all sorts of things that can pollute our minds. And some, like the Word of God, that can renew our minds. One of the worst of these, of course, is, is pornography. I was speaking um, recently to um, someone who's a staff member with CREW formerly Campus Crusade for Christ, working with high school students. He told me he'd been at a conference. This is not our church. This is another state conference with students. And they separated the guys and the girls. He was meeting with the guys, and they were discussing pornography. And he took a poll of how many of the guys at that conference struggled with pornography in their teenage years. And it was almost 100%. Um, that's consistent with other things that I've heard because that industry, which is ungodly and evil and from the pit of hell itself, has targeted our kids. There's a lot out there that will corrupt the mind. Parents, it would be a good thing to have a talk with your teenage kids about it sometime, not to, not to shame them, not to put them down, not to condemn them, but to come alongside and help and encourage them. It's a hard situation there. And those of you here may be students. I'd encourage you to be strong here and make a stand. If you're around friends who open up their phones who want to show you things that you know displease God, don't be afraid. Just walk away and say, hey, I don't think God wants me to see that. My mind is not a garbage dump. God doesn't want me exposing my mind to that. Because what we allow into our minds can shape our lives. And for those who have allowed too much into their minds that has caused lust and greed and coveting and anger, there's very good news in this passage. And that is that our minds can be 
made new. They can be renewed. The reason they can be renewed is because the Word of God is stronger than that and mightier and greater than that which is produced by this age or this world which would form us in its own image whereas God would form us in the image of Christ. Scripture, the Word of God, is spoken of as light. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Light is greater than darkness. When light comes in, it it dispels darkness. When God says, let there be light, the darkness goes. And his light can come to your mind through his word. God's word is depicted as water. Jesus washes his church with the water of his word. The word of God can, can wash our minds. If you regret having filled your mind with a lot of garbage that has entered your thought life and affected you in negative ways, the good news is this. God's Word can renew your mind, can renew your thinking, and thereby you can see life with a different worldview. You can look at things differently. It will require deliberate effort, significant deliberate effort. And it will come by exposing your mind to the Holy Word of God. And I'm not just talking about reading a chapter now and then or even a chapter a day. I'm talking about memorizing it, filling your mind with it. One of the best things about my sabbatical, I had a lot of time to go back and and try to relearn and review some of the scripture I've memorized over the years. And it was a, a, a rich experience for me. I want to encourage you in the habit of memorizing scripture. I was so excited to open our bulletin for this week and the first thing I read was Noah's Ark Kids. Memory verse this month, Deuteronomy 31 verse 6. Kids Rock Kids, October memory verse, Psalm 139 verse 14. You filled your mind with the word of God. You're filling your mind with light, the water of God's word that cleanses the renewing power of the word of God to help us see life the way God sees it. And as Paul says, is your mind's renewed? And he says something, he says, it sounds a little strange to our ears, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I think what he means is that as your mind is renewed, you will more clearly recognize and embrace All that is God's will, you'll be transformed, conformed more fully to the image of God's Son, Jesus Christ, in your attitude and in your actions. Memorize it, my friends. If you don't know where to start, I recommend this chapter, Romans chapter 12. It's one of my, uh, the, the, the chapters that I early memorized. If you don't think you can tackle the whole chapter, do verses 1 and 2. But store it up in your minds. I'm so glad our children and our church are doing that at very early ages. Now, as we move through Romans 12, verse 3, we get to a point at which it seems like Paul's just changing the subject altogether. He's been talking about renewed minds, not conforming to the world, being transformed by the renewing of the mind. In verse 3, he starts talking about the way we think about ourselves and others, and then he, he gives a list of spiritual gifts. Almost seems like two completely different subjects, but they are linked together by one word, and that word is think. The way you think, 
the way you think about yourself, the way you think about others. Look at verse 3 for a moment. Paul, after talking about the renewing of our minds, tells us not to think too highly of ourselves. And he writes, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think, three times in this verse, the word think, with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Woven into the background of the book of Romans is a theme of humility. It, it, it's not so much spoken as seen. Humility before God, because we can't save ourselves. None is righteous, no, not one. All have sinned to come short of the glory of God. Humility toward other peoples, not to think our, of ourselves above what we all ought to think. And as Paul says at the end of chapter 11, regarding God, for from him and through him and to him are all things. Don't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. He goes on to, to, to stress that we should be recognizing God's grace toward each member of Christ's body. Paul's telling us as believers, as followers of Jesus, how to think about ourselves, not only in relationship to God, but in relationship to other of God's people. We're often tempted to think of ourselves a little more highly than we think of other people. Maybe we're tempted to think more highly of ourselves because we're smarter, maybe a little more educated, maybe more wealthy, more successful in work or business. But the Apostle Paul says something in the book of 1 Corinthians that I think is an incredibly valuable question to keep with us throughout life. It's simply this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. What do you have that you didn't receive? What do you have that you didn't receive? That pertains not just to spiritual giftedness, but your opportunities in life, your education, your family background. What do you have that God didn't provide for you? What do you have that you didn't receive? Paul is going to note in this chapter that God distributes gifts, talents, abilities, opportunities differently in his church. And he does that for reasons really only he fully understands. Our part is to honor him with what we've been given. Not thinking too highly of ourselves, recognizing God's grace toward each member of Christ's body, and then thirdly, recognizing that we're joined together, we're members of one another. And so Paul writes, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Now, a person with a renewed mind realizes this. I'm just one of the cogs in the wheel. I'm, I'm a part of, of the body of Christ. We work together. We serve together. We're gifted differently. There is a relationship among believers that is different from that in any other form of organization than any social club or fraternity or sorority or neighborhood association. The body of Christ. What's Paul's point in this? Why did he go from talking about a renewed mind to talking about the way we see the body of Christ? It has to do with our thinking. That we don't think too highly of ourselves. And I think further, he's making the point that life transformation, 
becoming who God's called us to be. Life transformation does not flourish in isolation from other people. It would be easier, I think, to live as a Christian if you could just live by yourself in a nice cabin somewhere with plenty of food and water and shelter and your Bible and some songs and Christian music, and you didn't have to interact with difficult people all the time. Those of you who are married know that marriage has many good things, sometimes feels like bliss, especially in the early years. But over the years, there's that verse that talks about iron sharpening iron, rough edges wear off. It can be a challenge. We grow through that. God has called us to grow through interaction with other people. And then Paul does something that seems even further removed. He gives a list of seven spiritual gifts. He's doing this just to enable us to see the diversity of giftedness God has given his, his body and to appreciate one another and to recognize we're members of one another and not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. What do you have that you did not receive? And so, before we come to the end of this passage, uh, in verses 5 to 8, he lays out these spiritual gifts related to renewed thinking, a renewed mind. We're to think Christ about Christ's body, his people, true believers, this way. And we're to use the particular gifts that we've been given. And we're to recognize those in others and value them. And he lists seven gifts. I'll just very briefly try to just touch on them and, and try to uh, say a few words about what I think they mean. Prophesying. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 3 says, The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. In the book of Acts, Judas and Silas were, were prophets who, in the words of Acts 15.32, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. There's nothing in this particular definition speaking to people for their upbuilding, encouragement, and constellation about predicting the future as uh, many self-proclaimed uh, prophets often attempt to do, but prophesying as it's used here in my understanding means to be speaking to people guided by God for their upbuilding encouragement and comfort or consolation led by the Holy Spirit. Secondly, serving. Boy, I saw that gift at work yesterday at our community day because I looked around and I saw people clearing tables and cooking burgers and serving food and registering people and just a joy in it. Nobody seeming to seek recognition for what they were doing. This is what the gift of serving is like. The Greek word that's rendered as service comes uh, from the, the word diakonia, similar to our word deacon. And uh, everybody serves. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. The Son of God was a servant. We're all to serve one another. But there's some people who have a particular grace from God to serve. You often see these people in the church um, setting up for a meeting, taking down tables afterward. They just they serve without any uh, uh, effort for self-recognition. It just seems natural and a joy to them to serve. Thirdly, teaching. People who have the gift of teaching uh, typically love to study. 
They have a great desire for accuracy in presenting Scripture and understanding Scripture. They hear somebody teach something that's out of sync with, with the, a larger teaching of God's Word. They tend to recognize it. Uh, they value learning God's words, tend to spend a lot of time studying. Uh, if they're wise, they heed the warning of James chapter 3 and verse 1, which says, My brothers, not many of you should presume to be teachers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Teaching. Uh, number four is exhorting or encouraging. It's often rendered as encouraging. These are people in the church who often uh, write notes or send texts, they encourage others. They build others up. Uh, they show care by edifying, uh, comforting, strengthening, encouraging words. They make very good counselors oftentimes. They're caring people. They see when others need encouragement, when they need to be built up. Um, next gift is contributing or giving, I think makes more, uh, a little more clarity. Uh, these are people who give of their resources to the work of the church, the work of the kingdom of God, and they are a tremendous help to the work of the church and of the larger kingdom of God. Oftentimes, these are people who've been given the ability to make money, sometimes lots of money, and they don't give because they want their, their uh, name in lights or something like that. They give because they love to give. Uh, they recognize that God has blessed them and enabled them to give, and they enjoy giving. Now, again, we're all called to give. Everybody is called to give, but these are people with a particular grace, guidance toward uh, giving. These folks often give over the tithe, 10%, and it's a grace gift of God. A gift of leading. This gift is for people who um, stand before others to, to point the way. Uh, Everybody's to lead to some degree. You may be called to lead in the home, maybe in the church, maybe in your vocation, maybe in the business world. Uh, for those with a real strong leadership gift in the church, uh, need to be careful to depend upon God and not only own the strength of your own personality, but it's a great gift and much needed in the church. And then finally, showing mercy, number seven. A beautiful gift. I see this at work among some of you in our church. Uh, showing mercy, spending time with people in need, whether sick or dying, orphans, widows. It's not a burden to them to do that. They do it cheerfully. A great, great gift to the church. A healthy church needs all of these functioning together. The Apostle Peter wrote this about such gifts in 1 Peter 4 and verse 10. As each has received a gift, Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. When you think about identifying spiritual gifts in your own life, always remember the two words, one another. Your gift is not just for you. Your gift is to bless God's people, to encourage them, to build them up in some way. So how do we tie all this together now? And we went from, from not conforming to the world to, to letting God's Word renew our minds so we're, we're transformed to the likeness of Christ, to now talking about spiritual gifts. I think we can tie it together maybe, maybe this way. Gospel-generated life transformation happens as our minds are renewed 
and we think God's way about ourselves and others. So let me just raise three questions by way of personal application before we close. The first one is this. Have I responded to God's mercy by receiving his salvation provided through Jesus? Friends, I want to stress this very strongly. Regeneration comes before transformation. You must receive the gospel of Jesus Christ by grace, through faith, not of your works, not of yourselves. Based on the completed work of Jesus on the cross alone, what he's done for us. If you are not certain whether you are a Christian, whether you are regenerate, whether you are born again, it simply comes by humbling yourself before God, acknowledging your need, your sin, and embracing by faith that Jesus paid for that sin, accepting him as your Savior and Lord. Regeneration before life transformation. Secondly, am I consciously pursuing the renewal of my mind? If you don't consciously pursue the renewing of your mind, you will most likely be drawn by the current of this world and conform to this world. It takes a deliberate effort not to conform to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, giving yourself to the holy word of God to wash and illumine and shape your worldview and your mind, your way of thinking. It's particularly important in this information-flooded age in which we live. If you're struggling because of what you've allowed in your mind, I really want to leave you with hope today that your mind can be renewed, made new by the power of God's word, the light, the washing, the, 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 the God-invested power in his words. Thirdly, is my spiritual formation, and we often use the word formation because in our spiritual growth, God is forming us into the likeness of Christ. Is my spiritual formation leading me to deeper devotion to serving God's people with the gifts he's given me? One of the key points of, of having a renewed mind is to think God's way about his people and about his church. Are you seeking to discover your God-given gifts so you can use them to serve one another? Let's pray about that today. Father, we thank you for your word and the encouragement of the scriptures that gives us hope. And I pray for your people. Pray for your people to have a great love for your word of truth. What a gift it is, Lord, with which to shape our lives and see our minds renewed and our lives transformed. May your grace be with your people. Would you encourage your people this day? In the name of Jesus. Amen.